Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode. Wherever in the world you're listening to us from, whatever platform you're listening to us on, as always, thank you guys so much for the support, the emails, the messages, the questions that you've sent. Really excited as we approach year three uh, to keep this show going. And again, thank you for joining in on this episode. We are going to focus on skill development for this episode. And we have done episodes in the past where we've talked about individual skill development and working with uh, individual players or on individual skill sets. But we're going to focus more big picture on this episode. We're going to talk about program-wide skill development and things that you can do to get your team at a program level, developing in the skills that you want them to and coming up with plans, team plans, some individual plans, defining what success would look like with players' development, all of those good things that get involved with skill development so if you are in that position which i think we all are trying to develop our programs and develop our player skills uh this should be a fun chat and a fun conversation for you to listen in on very happy my guest is uh local to me uh, uh out in illinois very happy to be joined uh by the coach out there at wheeling high school i represent the chicagoland area boys basketball coach tom antos is joining us today coach appreciate you coming on how you doing hey coach i'm doing great thank you for having me i'm excited Absolutely. to have a great conversation about basketball yes let's make it happen coach let's talk let's start with your journey uh the game of basketball where is it taking you where's your coaching journey taking you and what got you to wheeling yeah i'm a i'm a basketball nerd at heart um, played growing up, and I knew after playing I wanted to get into coaching. So I played at Lawrence University, graduated in 2014, and immediately after graduation wanted to throw myself into coaching. So the first thing I did was get into camps in the summertime with a AAU program called Illinois Old School. So I started running and helping out with skills camps for youth and high school kids, as well as tagged along to be the assistant on their 14U AAU team that actually we got second place at nationals that year, which was awesome. Um, I continued with Illinois old school for the next three summers after that being the 16U head coach, 17U head coach, as well as an assistant for various programs, as well as continued to run different skills clinics on, on the weekends for that program as well. Immediately that same year, 2014, got into coaching feeder basketball. So fourth grade feeder basketball, while simultaneously volunteered coaching at Luther North College Prep, which is a which was it's closed down, which was a small school on the northwest side of the city, uh, under Coach Jason Tucker, who I believe was a guest for you a couple years back. Mm, yeah, um, I I was at Luther North for three years. So after I volunteered a year, um, I became the assistant at varsity for the next two. We had a lot of great success at Luther North. We won two regional championships, a conference championship. Um, a lot of great success under Coach Tucker at Luther North. Immediately after Luther North, I got a teaching and coaching job here at Wheeling High School. So that would have been 2017. I was the assistant coach at Wheeling High School under Coach Michael Keefe for three years before ultimately getting the head coach job in 2020 
So right in the midst of COVID, (laughs) yeah, right in the midst of COVID, uh, became the head coach at Wheeling High School. And I just completed my third year as head coach, looking forward to year four here, um, as we talked about before the pod, uh, getting ready for summer, getting ready for next year, which is awesome. That is awesome. So let me ask you about taking over in, in 2020. Uh, let me, let me uh, jump, jump in the gun a little bit, but, you know, you're, we're thinking about, you know, taking over a program and all the things that are involved in that. And were you able to work with your, your guys right away? Was there kind of like the, the quarantine period? Was it all over Zoom? Or how, how did you kind of work with your guys when you first got on? A- so I got officially hired, I believe, in August of 2020. So we weren't allowed to do anything with the guys until the IHSA, so our governing body here in Illinois, granted us 20 contact days, which is what they called them. So at those contact days, we weren't allowed to play any defense. Uh, Guys had to wear masks. Uh, We were taking temperature checks, and we had to ask a whole slew of questions about whether you had a temperature, whether you were feeling sick, and we had to check those off, and we had to make sure we were documenting all that good stuff. And we were granted those 20 days to have contact and play, which was great. And you're trying to do it as safe as possible, right? You weren't sure what the regulations were. I I remember spraying down basketballs to try to keep Uh, them clean between drills. Like, um, So those 20 days we took advantage of to the best of our ability, And then those ended probably end of October-ish. And our season usually starts first week in November. And that didn't happen. So we waited for about two months. Um, Early January rolls around. And I remember talking to my assistant principal. He was our athletic director at the time, Don Rowley Jr. And I asked him flat out, I was like, Don, what are the chances of us playing a season this year? And he goes, listen, Tom, 90% chance you're not playing. And it was crazy that he said that because literally the week after, it was a Thursday, I remember, we get the clearance from IHSA to start a season. And they said, listen, on Monday, you can start practicing. So that gave our guys two, three days to get physicals in, all the documentation ready. And I remember me and my assistant coach talking to our athletic director saying, yes, go. We spent like two hours calling everybody in our program to try to get them ready. And then we were off to the races on that Monday, and we we were lucky enough to play a 13-game in-conference season uh, with a great group of guys, great group of seniors, who I was very happy for them that they got a chance to play. But a uh, crazy start to a, a head coaching career, one that uh, – is not quite like anybody else's. Yeah, it's crazy. Everybody has their own like 2020 story that they that they went through, and I t- I give a lot of credit to those who were able to jump right in and take over a program and try and try and navigate everything through that because this job's hard enough as it is in in, in the normal circumstances, let alone uh, let alone in that sort of situation. That's and crazy. it was great. We had a lot of support from our administration, a lot of support from our from our families. I have some great assistant coaches that we continued to bounce ideas off of, and we did everything to the best of our ability that we could control. And ultimately, uh, I thought it was a really successful season. We had a lot of great guys who were just happy to play basketball. They're a great group of guys who really set a foundation for for me and our program as my first year head coach. So I'm extremely thankful for those guys. Yeah, fan- fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, before I start with uh, my, my, my first question here, this question is completely self-serving. And I know that you mentioned this to me off air. This is a very self-serving question, but uh, 
you told me that uh, my, my alma mater, Palatine High School, they 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 mm-hmm. they're doing good things. They're they're running a good program. Uh, Absolutely. I let the listeners know about my alma mater and that things are going great under Coach Millstone over there. Yeah, absolutely. Coach uh, Coach Millstone and the Palatine Pirates won the MSL championship this past year. He had a really great team. Uh, he's a fantastic individual, fantastic coach. Um, congratulations to them. They had a, a, an awesome conference championship game against Rolling Meadows, a really exciting game. They came up on top. I believe, I can't remember the exact date, but I believe it's their first conference championship since the 1990s. So very happy for Coach Millstone, very happy for the Palatine Pirates. They had a great team, great program. Yeah, so that very self-serving. Sorry, listeners, this was just to, to get a plug for my alma mater out there of Palatines because it's it's really cool, really cool uh, to to know that they're doing great things. Awesome. Um, let me ask you about the priorities that you had to develop um, when you thought about program-wide skill development. So as you are, you can either start from the beginning or even even talk about it on a year-to-year basis when it came to developing priorities as a program how did you and your staff identify that program-wide skill development was something that uh, wheeling needed to be focusing on yeah so in our area there's a lot of kids that are working with individual trainers that are getting that skill development training year round and a lot of our kids were not in the same boat so we started talking about all right how do we fix that And one of the important parts of our practice plans that we talk about almost daily is making sure we put in time for skill development. And what we found over the course of implementing this is that kids are really excited because from a fundamental perspective, what's, what, what do kids want to do when they play basketball? Like what made you want to play basketball? Shooting the ball, making, making buckets, getting buckets, right? So if you can teach a kid how to get buckets and show them different ways to do that, kids get excited about it and you have them sucked in. They want them to, to, they want more. So from a very fundamental level, we said, all right, how do we improve our skill development? Well, it's making a conscious effort to put it in our practice plans. And then on top of that, the kids are excited to do those things because they see themselves getting better. They're asking questions, they're trying moves. And that's really where we started. So, is it is your thought then that that in some in some cases maybe the the game for for a lot of players is almost like too individualized and that their their time is is maybe so focused on the individual aspects that they don't have the exposure necessarily that they maybe should have on on how it works is like how it all fits in in a team concept. Yeah, so a little bit of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. We we break it down individually and then we show it to them in a team concept. Uh, we'll pause film and we'll talk about finished solutions. So that's a term that we use all the time with our guys is what solution could you have had here, right? We'll pause the film. We'll talk about reads as a point guard or reads as the roller, right? Or just simple reads of like, listen, corner help, like that's a kick. So all of those things in one, right? You have to be able to have the individual skills that have solutions, that have different um, ways to solve problems on the basketball court to be able to make reads. And then those translate to the bigger scope of the team lens as well. So all of those dominoes kind of fall one after the other, if you're doing things correctly. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the aspects that can be tricky. Sometimes I think about players learning skills on an individual basis or learning things by that by themselves is that, 
to you have a lot of players who will work on on skills and they'll work on certain aspects of their game but then sometimes i know a lot of them maybe will struggle and and how does that skill that they're working on fit within the flow of an actual offense or within the mm -hmm. flow of a team concept and how and where that look is going to come in or you know if they're working on passing where does that pass fit in with the scope of their offense and so um being able, I think, to bridge those two is, is really helpful to take those individual skills they work on and see how they, you know, fit in with, the, with whatever it is that the team is trying to run. Absolutely. And one of the, the fundamental things that we talk about with our guys all the time is one of the number one skills you have to have is be able to shoot the basketball, yes. right? So in today's game, right, if you can space the floor and be able to shoot the basketball when you're open and knock it down, that is an invaluable skill, right? So one of the things we do as a program is we purposely set time aside and practice for individualized shooting. We do things in the off-season like a 3,000 makes club in the summertime where over two months we're asking you to get 3,000 made shots on your own time recording it so that we are asking you to be able to do that particular skill right? Not every single kid on the floor is going to need to make a pick and roll read, right? You're going to have a couple of guards who are going to be able to do that and you can individualize those, that skill development for them. But almost everybody else on the floor has to be able to shoot the basketball, has to be able to have a couple finish solutions out, uh, at the rim, has to be able to make the right read when the ball gets moved to them and making sure the ball moves, right? Having those 0.5 decisions, right? When you catch it, are you shooting it? Are you passing it? Are you attacking downhill, getting a paint touch for us, right? What's your finish solution? What's your read? What's your options, right? Those are built as individual skills that then get translated into the larger team game that we're trying to play. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, awesome. Um, what is kind of the process that you kind of go through, you and your staff, of kind of identifying where your players' skills are currently at, and then kind of developing both kind of an individual plan for them while also figuring out what like a team plan needs to be overall for development. So I'll start with the idea of identifying like where your players' skills are at. What is that sort of process like? Yeah, so we have uh, certain drills that we like to do uh, from the freshman level to the varsity level. So, for example, one of the drills that we like to identify, we call kill box finishes. So what we do is we start at the elbow, and then we are going to give you a dribble move and then a finish solution, a counter to that finish solution, and maybe even a third counter to that finish solution. And it's pretty easy to see right away if that particular player understands that concept. So, for example... We can do, like I call it the Tim Hardaway, right? Under the legs, crossover in front, get to mm -hmm. the middle, spin move, right? Can you do that pound spin? And then your counter is going to be that pound spin fake, come back five footer. And then your secondary counter will be that pound spin fake, shot fake, step through, right? Like, can you do those things? And uh, I think one of the best things I've uh, we, we, I've heard before, and I've stolen this from Cody Toper, uh, assistant coach at LSU. He had a podcast with uh, the basketball podcast, Chris Oliver, and he said that your players are going to have different levels of skill, and you need to translate them from unconsciously unskilled, meaning they don't know what they don't know, to consciously unskilled, meaning I'm aware that I'm not very good at this skill. To consciously skilled, I can do that skill on command, and then unconsciously skilled, meaning that I can react in game-like game situations with those skills that I've learned. So in that simple kill box finish, 
right? I can really see right away, like, does this kid, has this kid ever done a spin move? Has this kid ever done this dribble move? Mm-hmm. If yes, where are they on that spectrum of unconsciously unskilled to unconsciously skilled? And then how does that translate? And from there, you're having conversations with your coaches about, all right, uh, player A is extremely skilled. He can do a spin move. He can do a floater. Uh, he doesn't really have a strong left hand, right? Or player B, really new to the game, right? He's still working on on having maybe one finished solution that might be simpler, like just a shot fake off a jump stop, right? And then you're identifying which player is where on that spectrum of skill. So when you have so many players who are on a, a different spectrum, is, are you and your staff then thinking about what to kind of have that player kind of like individually like work on is I guess what I'm I'm asking on is when you have so many players who are kind of at different spots, how do you kind of work in them getting better at whatever it is they specifically need to get better at versus like having to maybe more so focus on team aspects because maybe you don't have the time to give on like individual like drills or individual moves. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a hard balance. Yeah, so for, I've, for, it's a struggle for me. <laughs> sure. So for me as the head coach of our program, I have told our freshmen and sophomore coaches that they must do skill development every day at practice. So it's a non-negotiable. It's 20 to 30 minutes of dribbling, passing, shooting, finishing, because they have to develop those skills. Now, at that level, it's very much every kid's doing the same thing at the same time a lot of times. But there's going to be different variations of speed, different variations of skill in that. Now, we will even differentiate that based on skill level, right? So if I have a group of kids at the sophomore level who have mastered that spin, well, now let's put a defender on it and tell you, okay, you're going to drive middle with a defender on your hip. We've given you an advantage. And from here, your option is veer move or inside hand finish, depending on what's happening or if you want to do a stride stop off that inside hand, forward pivot, finish at the front of the rim, right? We're giving you some constraints because we know you've gotten to that point where you're consciously skilled. Now you've got to make reactionary decisions on the fly. Mm. So you're kind of providing a structure for the entire group and then individually saying, all right, this group's going to be more advanced. This group's going to be a little bit uh, more of the stationary, uh, just working on your skills. And then later on in practice, that's going to translate towards small-sided games or live five-on-five where they can get to that point where they're using those skills in that five-on-five basis. It is a really tough balance. Um, My underlevel coaches do a fantastic job of of flirting the line of making sure that they're doing enough skill development while while not um, losing out on the team aspect. But you you need the skill development in order for players to get better because ultimately players make plays and you want your players to be skilled within your systems. Yeah, I've I've gone through that struggle of especially especially when when I when I was younger, first starting out coaching, and I and I think I still make that mistake now of putting in or working in things on 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 an offense and whether it was like a, I remember I, I did dribble drive at one point and we had this dribble drive and man it looked nice and it was really good and, and we got the penetration and the kick out for a shot and you know I had girls who couldn't shoot I was mm-hmm. like well <laughs> like it, it all looks nice in a team concept but if I didn't work on this skill of you know getting your shot and getting loaded and getting ready to shoot it's 
it's it almost seems so silly to have to put in uh, to spend so much time on like team aspects and, and team offense or and things of that nature if if the skills aren't aren't gonna they're not gonna finish with the individual skill set at the end. A thousand percent, and that's at the high school level specifically at a at a public school, right? You get different kids every year with different skill sets. So yeah. right right now, I have two six four six five freshmen. They're gonna be excuse me, they're gonna be sophomores next year. They both started playing basketball this past year. So, like, our sophomore team next year, like, we're brainstorming right now what's going to be the best offense for those guys, right? If, yeah. one of them's on, if one of them's on the floor, just one of them at a time, we can go with a traditional four-out, one-in, dribble-drive offense, dunker spot away from the basketball, because neither one of them right now are one of those throw-it-in-the-post, back-to-the-basket, dream-shake, yeah, hook-shot kind of, yeah. <laughs> They're not there. Maybe they will be in three years, right, when they're seniors. But right now, at the, as a sophomore, as an incoming sophomore, they're more of the catch-finish, right? Catch-shot-fake-finish, right? Maybe a little up and under if they've got that, right? Mm -hmm. So what are we doing with them? Well, four-out, one-in is easy. But if we want to play both of them at the same time because two, six, five kids is an advantage, right? We've talked about maybe running a shuffle-cut offense. Maybe running a mover blocker where they're, they're, they're the two screeners. Maybe running a five out where we tell them, hey, like you're going to either hand the ball off and roll or you're going to pick and roll. And if you're off the ball and your guy helps, you've got to dive and be a cutter, right? Um, these are all conversations we're having. Thankfully, it's still early April. So I still have got a couple months before June basketball starts to really figure out how we want to play them. But like you said, like different skill groups every year, what do you do with those kids with those different skill groups? And that's part of the tricky, tricky part about being a coach at the high school level. Yeah. And, you know, if you as you start to incorporate, you know, if you incorporate those two big guys and, you, and you're able to work something in with your offense, then uh, for that sophomore team, that that may change other other guys roles or what other guys responsibilities are and maybe things that they were responsible for in an offense or, or for doing um, their freshman year, their role and their their individual skill set that they may need to bring may be altered or changed a little bit because now you got to fit in new players in and 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 their everyone's role may change or everybody's responsibilities may change a little bit. Absolutely. And, and high school kids, the, the greatest part about high school kids is that over the course of six, eight months, they can get drastically better. Like they can be one person at the end of February and a completely other person at the beginning of November for next season. And that's what you hope for, right? That you hope that these kids are continuing to get better and you have to change the way you, you coach them because their skill sets have improved. So that's the goal. Um, the ultimate goal for like these two, six, four, six, five freshmen that I have is that they're continuing to get better. They're building their skills. They're learning how to play basketball within a team concept and that they're completely different players two years from now where maybe as a junior or maybe even at the, maybe even their sophomore year, right? There's still a lot of time before November. Like we can throw it to them on a block and maybe they can make a move in a pass, right? We're going to keep working with them on that skill development within the team concept. Yeah. So We've, we we talked about like the the, the goals kind of set out and the identifying where you know the at where where they're at where they'll fit in with a team how they want to develop as individuals and within the team itself but also as coaches at least I I know me and, and probably others listening too we like to we like to have targets that we're going for or goals that we're that we're trying to reach mm -hmm. or, or something that we can kind of kind of look at and say this is where we're hopefully trying to get 
get our guys or our girls at. So when when you think about the process of development, I know development never never stops and it's always a continual journey, but how are you kind of defining success, whether it's week to week, month to month, year to year with your development? Like, are there goals? Are there targets that, that you want your guys to reach? Or is there a way that you chart their progress? Or what's that What's that success criteria? That's a good teacher term. What's that success criteria kind of look like for you when you think about um, defining their success with development? Yeah, absolutely. So a bunch of different things that we do. So first is the skill of sheeting. So we incentivize shooting in the off season by establishing like the shooting club, right? Optional shooting, right? Like you go out into the gym on your own, get shots up, count your makes. And we want you to showcase that. Now, during summer camp, during the season, we will track shoot individualized shooting drills in practice. And we'll talk to kids day to day about how their shooting is going. And honestly, throughout the course of the season, we usually see kids get better over the course of time shooting the ball in practice. And the benchmark that we tell the kids is that as a varsity basketball player, we want you to be able to shoot in an individualized 10, 15, or 20-minute shooting drill at least 50% from three. Really good shooters in our program are shooting 60% from three. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal shooters are shooting 70%, just wide open, right? Individualized drill, right? You and, you and a partner shooting, or maybe three of you guys shooting, right? Hitting open shots, and we talk about that. So one of the drills we have, we call uh, wheeling shooting. So you're getting 100 shots up, and it's just stationary shots, 20, 20 shots, five spots. And we'll do that for 20 minutes if we need to just get a bunch of shots up one day. And we'll tell them the record is 81. Mario Lamonto, 81. Like, Kid was on fire that day, right? That's a goal to set. And we tell him, like, listen, he didn't hit 81 every time, but this is a realistic thing that a high school student in our gym has done. And we have kids consistently shooting in the 60s. We have kids consistently shooting in the 50s. And the great part is that a lot of these kids are seeing that from their freshman to their sophomore to their junior to their senior year, they're going from shooting, oh, I shot 23 out of 100 today, coach, to I shot 37 out of 100 to I shot 45 out of 100 to consistently in the 50s to consistently in the 60s. So you get to the point where like one of your best shooters comes up to you uh, and is reporting their score and goes, I only got 58. That's a great feeling when you're when you're like, listen, man, like you've grown a ton. So like that's one way where we're tracking a skill such as shooting. Yeah. And it's really good that they they feel it seems like just from your response like that they're taking personal ownership of it. Yes, and we'll, and we'll be competitive with it. So uh, there'll be practices where I'll say, listen, uh, this past season we had a pretty even mix of, of seniors and juniors, and we had one sophomore on the varsity team. And I'd say, listen, seniors, you're partnering up with one of the juniors of the soft. Like, keep track of wins. Like, you beat your individual matchup, great. We'll count up the senior wins. We'll count up the junior-sophomore wins. Losers are on the line. And there's a little bit of a competitive edge to it, right? So we'll get to the circle after the drill and be like, all right, what'd you get? And the kids will see, you know, the little fist bump, little high fives. And then you get competitive with it. And the kids take ownership of it. And it's important. At the end of the day, we, we tell the kids, like, as a coach, my job is to put you out there to be successful. But when that ball leaves your hand, you're responsible for making it. So they're taking ownership of it. And I think they're understanding that point of getting better shooting so that they're getting game reps in practice so that that translates onto a basketball court during game time. 
are you and your staff trying to, you know, keep track and, and, and chart like everything? Are, are, are there certain things that when you're thinking about their development that, that you just kind of give like the eye test to, you know, I, I think about, you know, programs that want to, you know, really make sure that their ball handling or their finishing maneuvers at the rim or even, you know, rebounding or, or passing assist to turnover type things. How, how deep do you get into, into that charting? Do, does everything get charted? Do some things just go through, you know, kind, kind of the, the, the eye test of, of where a player you see them in September to where they are a few months later or how, how much uh, gets charted in terms of uh, things that, that your players are doing? Some of it is definitely eye test. So you can see over the course of a season, you can really tell over the course of years how kids progress individually. So one of my favorite days of the year is the last day of summer camp. We run a program-wide King of the Hill one-on-one -on -one competition last day. And we'll set four dribbles. We'll start at different spots every round. And we'll play for about an hour with some water breaks in between. And it's great to see from a freshman to a sophomore to a junior to a senior, like how different guys are in regards to the skill sets. Uh, this past summer, I'm super proud of our guy Arbaz, a junior for us this year. Um, as a freshman, he wasn't very skilled, but this past summer, it was stride, stop, fake, forward, pivot, front of the rim, spin, move, shot, fake, throw a little shoulder bump, left hand, finish. He did not have any of those moves as a freshman, but now on this particular day of summer camp, he's showcasing them all and he's doing them in practice and he's having a great job, great time showing those skills off. So that's just an example of the eye test, right? You can mm -hmm. tell month to month, year to year, kids are improving on those skills. Um, but we do track some of the things. We track assisted turnover. So that's something that we talk to our guys about all the time. Um, my point guards, we talk specifically about, listen, your goal should be two to one or higher. So that's a goal for them. Uh, some of our guys who don't handle the basketball as much. So like you'll have the kid who's like at a 0.5 assisted turnover because that's your forward who is really only rebounding or kicking out. And I'm not, I'm less concerned with that 0.5 and more concerned about the guys that are handling the ball more for us. So we'll take a look at assisted turnover in regards to them. We'll take a look at assisted turnover in regards to the team. Other things that we like to track are paint touches. So we talk about paint touches being an essential part of our offense. And we've calculated over the course of years that when we get a zero paint touch possession, we're like a 0.7 points per shot attempt, which is not good at all. If we get one paint touch, we're about a one, little over 1.0 points per, per shot attempt, which is fairly average. But when we get possessions where we get multiple paint touches, two or three, we're at like a 1.25, 1.3. So those are things that we track in practice. And those are things we talk about in timeouts. And those are things we track on the bench so that we're continuing to talk about those particular skills. And this idea of paint touches involves being able to handle the basketball, get downhill, make a read. And then for our guys, it's being able to make that one more pass, maybe hit another paint touch, and when we get that second paint touch, defenses are scrambled, defenses move, guys get open, we get great looks. And our guys know those kind of things. So they know that the, we are looking for multiple paint touches statistic. So long-winded answer, but to answer your question, some things are charted, some things we're taking a look at um, just by the eye test, and you're just doing the best that you can. And ultimately, you'll see progress as these kids are, are working hard at the game. Well, what I think is helpful about that approach, and I know that with 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 my girls this past year, that would have been something that would have been super helpful. 
um, and is super helpful because that was the mindset of that team is is knowing about a certain stat, like what does that stat actually mean to the team and their success? So like, you know, like you mentioned or something like if we get X amount of paint touches, this is the result that we have tangible evidence of. This is what happens when this action happens. And I think at least as I think about my girls, if they're like, oh, like if we do this, the stats bear out that like this could happen. Okay, that makes sense. Definitely that we should do that because I've I've also had teams where like if I was just to explain like, hey, we need to get more, you know, looks in the paint or we need to, you know, move the ball around X amount of times or, you know, get more assists, like they would just kind of look at me and be like, okay, but like, why? Like, you know, like what, what is like, okay, we can, but they, they weren't quite sure about what that actually translates to. But if you, I mean, it sounds like with you, you got like the, hey, when this happens, this is the result that happens. And I think that that probably has to make it really like crystal clear to your guys about why to do yeah, something. And I think one of the best things we did as a staff this year was early on, I can't remember what game it was in our Thanksgiving term. It was one of our first four games of the year. We watched film and I paused the film every time we took a three-point shot and said, all right, was this a paint touch three or was this not a paint touch three? That was another thing that we talked about. We're better at shooting paint touch threes. And before we even saw the outcome, we said, all right, we good with this shot? It's a paint touch three, no paint touch three. Press play. And we saw, after writing it all on the board, we charted it as a group. We are better at paint touch threes than non-paint touch threes. And you can almost see the light bulb click for them. And be like, oh, okay, coach is right. Like, we can see it on the film. And it's important that when the kids can see it and they can have those statistics that back it up, like they start believing in those things and they understand that what you're saying is, is correct. And I think that internalizes the point and makes you a better team in the process. Yeah, no, that, yeah, I, what I really like about that part in particular is, is like, I think speaking in general terms, I think can be really helpful. Like, hey, we need to, you know, make sure that we don't give up any offensive rebounds. We got, we got to crash the boards. But like you said, like we're pausing film or just to be like, to go to my team and be like, girls, do you realize like when we give up, you know, X amount of offensive rebounds, like this happens. But when we give up less than this amount, this happens. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I, that, those are no, cold, hard numbers that can't be lied with. Like, absolutely. We got it. We got it. That, that's real stuff right there, so to speak. So. And the other thing we do is we have a game goals board. So uh, we don't have a team room. So I have it in my classroom. We hold our, we hold our meetings in my classroom and on our team goals board is win the third quarter because over years we've come to the realization that when we win that individual quarter, we actually do really well towards uh, winning the basketball game. We talked about 50% uh, effective field goal. So we shoot a good amount of threes. So we're not saying any field goal percentage in general, but 50% effective field goal. Uh, we talked about uh, getting to the free throw line, 16 plus free throws. We talked about winning the rebounding battle. We talked about um, our assist to turnover ratio. We're talking about getting 12 assists in a game, which is about uh, three or four a quarter, depending on how, how the game's being played. Uh, we talked about, uh, what else? I can't think of something. Anyways, um, we'll have six goals that we'll talk about as a team. And then after every game, we'll reflect and say, all right, did we achieve our goals? And statistically, what we found is if we, if we achieve two out of those six, it'll be a close-ish game. If we get three, we should win 
And if we get four, five, or six, like guaranteed W for us. Mm-hmm. And so the kids understand that too. So we'll we'll reflect on those team goals as well. Again, statistics that that back up what we're doing, right? And the one that has seemed to be most important year in, year out for us is winning the rebounding battle. Yeah. When you win the rebounding battle, you have a great chance at winning. And the kids can see that right on the board. And I have last year's board up there and the year before up there too in the classroom. And we can just look and see, let's look, rebounding, big deal. And we'll change those goals a little bit year to year and tweak them. But it's a great way for kids to understand that what you're teaching them from a team perspective matters. I, uh, I think I can put rebounding almost at, in permanent marker, I think, at this point. I don't know if that one's like, oh, man. That, yeah, but no, that, 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 I like that, and, and I love the, the way that that gets charted. Uh, let's talk about what you like to run um, either on the offense and defensive end, and, and where does the, the skill development with, with your program, how does that kind of translate directly to what you're looking to run either on the offense or defensive side? Yeah, so the past couple of years, we've run a dribble drive offense. Uh, Three three years ago, as uh, my first year as head coach, we ran a four out, one in, just based on personnel. And then the last two years, we've run a five out dribble dribble drive offense, just based on personnel. So what we do within that system is talk to our guys about, again, the skill of paint touches, being a dribble drive offense, we want to get in the lane, we want to collapse the defense, we want to kick the shooters, we want to get one more, and we know multiple paint touches uh, lead to great shots. Uh, We'll break those down, like I said, in regards to things like finish solutions. So we'll talk about the big rotating, what's your solution at the rim, Um, guys on your hip, what's your solution there, right? Corner defender helps. For us, that's an automatic kick to the corner, three-point shot. And for our guys, we really work a lot in, in practice on small-sided games about one more passing, getting it back to that wing, hitting that open shot, or maybe hitting another lane off the bounce. So we'll do a lot of individualized skill in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, within our offense, we'll also run a lot of ball screen stuff. So the past couple of years, I've been lucky to have some guards who have been able to play out of ball screens. And we'll talk about ball screen development. First read out of a ball screen is reject. Because if you can reject it, you've got a four on three on the opposite end of that ball screen. So what is your move to reject, right? We talk about little phrases like I sell lies, right? Using pace to move the defender and getting by. Um, we'll talk about, all right, when we're using that, that, that high ball screen, all right, what's the coverage, right? What are you doing on a hedge versus a switch, right? What are you doing on a trap? What's the roll we're doing, right? Off a trap, we want a short roll, get it to the roll man, and that's four on three the other side as well. So those are all skill development things that we're trying to do within the course of practice that then translates to our five-on-five setting. And when you're going through this, um, I, I'm curious about the process of, like, the the teaching about the rationale. Is is there a lot of teaching of, you know, we're, we're, we need to do this because when, when, when you do – you know, th- this action or, or this movement, this is the result that we're getting. Like how much teaching of the why behind these concepts would, would you say kind of goes into it before you're fully like implementing it or or like really installing that offense or defense? Yeah, so as you were asking the question, the whole time in my head I was saying this is the why. This is the why we always talk about. So <laughs> as, a, as a staff, we consistently talk about making sure the kids know mm-hmm. why we're doing things and giving them direct feedback and giving them things that they should be working on that is concrete. So the why to me is essential. We are, we are setting you a ball screen, right? Our point guard this year, 
RJ, we're setting you a ball screen to gain an advantage. We think that if we set you a ball screen, if you reject it, advantage made, four on three on the other end, if you can take it to the hoop and put it in the hole for us, awesome. If you can just simply make that four on three and make the read, and there's going to be a wide open shooter, great. Like, we're giving you a ball screen in order to gain an advantage for our team and then make the right play for the right team shot. Now, you might not be able to reject. All right, so now your job is to make the correct read based on the ball screen coverage. If it's a trap, string the trap out. Our big man or our, our four-man, five-man, whoever's setting the ball screen is going to short roll, throw that pocket bounce pass. And why are we short rolling? Well, we want a short roll because there's going to be defenders coming up the alley to try to steal that pass off the trap. Mm -hmm. You've got a short roll, yeah. right? So guys need to understand why they're doing things, and that's something that we continue to harp. Second thing we talk about as a staff is continually giving concrete feedback. So every coach has gotten into a rut of like, finish that. Well, finish that doesn't necessarily mean much, right? Like, hey, jump stop. Shot fake, right? Uh, one of the things we talk about, um, one of the phrases that we use is that high school big guys are stupid. And what we mean by that is we want you to get down there, see that high school big rolling over. They're going to try to block your shot. Shot fake <laughs> them. Get them up in the air. That's your and one, or it's a secondary move to another player or for another finish, right? So, like, having concrete answers to help our players and their development is really important rather than just saying finish that or stop turning the ball over, right? Being able to say, listen, they trapped you. Hard hedge it, right? Keep your dribble alive. Extend it towards half court. We'll get the short roll. The way you coach the kids, giving them the why, giving them specific reasoning is going to be extremely helpful uh, in your five-on-five -five concept and, and really helpful for their individual skill development and really helpful for your team. And – Hopefully, at least that that's what I was kind of thinking about as as you were giving your answer is that if once they understand the why behind why something happens, then if your offense or your defense has to happen to change because of personnel, knowing the why they're able to take that knowledge with them and potentially transfer it to maybe a new wrinkle or a new system that you might need to run or a new type of offense or defense or a new set you're going to put in because they understand the rationale of the why behind something. And, and that I think could hopefully translate if they ever need to be put into a different position or, or a new like role or system gets put in. Absolutely. Ultimately, ultimately the game of basketball is about gaining advantages, right? So how are you going to gain your advantage? Sometimes that's a spacing thing. So with the dribble drive offense, you can cut somebody through, open up a double gap or a triple gap, and say attack that open space, right? That could be an advantage. So why are we cutting this guy through? We're cutting this guy through so you can get space so you can attack. Why are we giving you a ball screen? We're giving you a ball screen because we think our two guys can gain an advantage on their two guys based on their coverage. Why are we running a zoom action? Well, we're running a zoom action to get our guy get downhill, give him a handoff and get downhill and play, right? We ran a lot of handoff actions with our, our four men, Gavin, this past year because he had a great fake handoff. Like, let's do it, right? He understood mm -hmm. that when a guy overplayed, he was going to keep, he's going to turn the corner, he's going to gain an advantage, 
right? Basketball is about advantages. So no matter what offense you're running year to year, right, that handoff, that ball screen, that spacing concept, uh, the screening concepts, right, whether it's a stagger action, whether it's a pin down action, whether it's a flare action, being able to read off those things, those continue to translate if you know how to play the game of basketball because all of those things are meant to gain advantages for you and your team. Absolutely. 100% agreed. Let's talk about uh, about your practices. So when you think about practice design, what in what way are your practices designed to both kind of target what you want to accomplish as a team while also focusing on your players' skills? I know you talked a little bit about um, kind, of, kind of what you want the lower level coaches to do, but what, what does it also look like at the varsity level as well? So at the varsity level, we will still do some skill development, especially early in practice. So we'll definitely do individualized shooting, uh, depending on the day, depending on um, scout, when our next game is, et cetera. Uh, we might do 10 minutes of individualized shooting. We might do 20 minutes of individualized shooting. Um, we try to do some finish skill development throughout the week as well maybe a couple times a week at the varsity level, but at the varsity level, it's much harder to do all that skill work all the time, especially individual. So what we end up doing is we end up doing a lot of small-sided games in which we give advantages. So one of our guys' favorite drills is when we go three-on-three -three advantage. And basically what we do is we put guys in different situations. So I think my favorite is we put the offensive player on a wing, defensive players on their hip. So uh, towards the sideline, baseline side. Coach stands at the top of the key. You've got your other two offensive players on the opposite corner, opposite wing, with their defenders on helpline and in the gap. Coach tosses the ball to the offensive player who's got the defender on their hip, and we're playing live. So I'm giving you an offensive advantage right away. And at that point, off that first dribble, what's the defense doing? If the gap guy is coming right down on the ball handler, it's kick. You've got shot. You've got attack. Be aggressive. If that helpline guy is X out rotating, it's one more to the corner. Now we're in a scramble, right? So we're putting guys in situations where they're going to have to use the skills that they develop over the course of two, three, four years with us in a smaller setting. And then what that also allows us to do is we continuing rotating offense to defense. And then off to the side, I can talk to one of our guys and be like, hey, Josh, like, listen, man, like he overplayed you there, right? And when he's got shoulders to the sideline, it's spin, move, finish with your left hand. You didn't see it, but that's what the move should have been. You're having those individualized conversations while guys are playing three-on-three -three advantage and they're making reads and we're making sure that they're getting those skills of dribbling, passing, finishing, shooting, mm -hmm. and ultimately playing basketball at a very high-paced, quick kind of game where everybody's playing, everybody's getting involved. So we'll make sure we do drills like that in practice. Uh, we'll always make sure we play at some point in practice five on five because we do need that continuity. We do need that uh, development. Uh, we do need individualized development defensively as well, right? We'll do your classic shell drill. We'll do um, different variations of zone defensive shell. We'll talk about our full court press and we'll break that down into small parts and big parts. Um, our favorites always rebounding drills. Uh, we talk about rebounding as a habit, and we try to drill into the kids' heads that um, you doing your job rebounding. So our terminology is uh, hit a body, find the ball, go get it. Like, if you're doing those three things, like, and all five guys are doing it, like, we're going to be in great shape rebounding. So hopefully our guys can recite hit a body, find the ball, go get it in their sleep by now. But it's making sure that we're doing all of those little things in, over the course of a practice 
finding time for individualized skill, finding time for small-sided games within a team structure, finding time to make sure we're doing our defensive and offensive team breakdowns and finding time to play. And if it's a, a day before a game or maybe two days before a game, we'll definitely throw in some scout report stuff too. We're very big on that. Um, lot to pack in for two hours, but that's why why you plan practice and try to do the best you can. And will those percentages at all like change throughout the season or, or based on, on the way the season goes in terms of skill development, balancing that with uh, team concepts? Does, it, does the percentage distribution stay the same or how does that look like throughout the season? So I think it depends on the group. Mm-hmm. Three years ago with that group, we did a lot more five-on-five stuff rather than small-sided games because that group had a lot of continuity already and we were having a shortened season. So I wanted them to get as much uh, cohesiveness together as possible. And then the last two years will vary it depending on what guys are feeling, what guys need, right? Um, There'll be days where like, for example, uh, this past season, we had a ton of games early and then we had a week between games. So we had a Friday night game. We weren't yeah. playing again until the following Friday. Well, that Monday is going to be heavy skill work for me. We're going to do a ton of individualized skill work. We're going to do a ton of small-sided games. We're going to make sure guys are all passing, shooting, dribbling, finishing, and doing all the things to, to uh, let's just say, brush your teeth, right? Making sure we're doing all the fundamentals, right? Making sure we're sharpening the sword, making sure we're, we're doing all those things to keep you sharp uh, for your individualized skills. And as that week progresses, we'll do less individualized stuff and more team concepts. So when Wednesday rolls around, all right, here's the scout report. Here's what this team's doing. Thursday, we're doing a little bit of a lighter day, more scouting report stuff in preparation for Friday. So day of the week, when our next game is, what the team is, what the team needs, all of those factor into how the different breakdowns go between skill development, small-sided games, offensive breakdown, defensive breakdown, scouting report, et cetera. It's 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 such a challenge, right? Things get so busy for throughout the year, and I think that one of the challenges that uh, all coaches face, and I'm I'm sure you've been in that boat too, is I feel like as the season goes on, uh, there there could be that tendency to almost drift away from skill development because you get focused on you know recovering from the last game or focusing on the next opponent. That if you're not careful, at least I found in my experience that skill development can almost drift away a little bit from the practice plan unless you're paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of why we make sure it's a a conscious, intentional decision for us to do skill development every day. And the varsity level, it might not be a ton. My Mm -hmm. freshman and sophomore levels, they're going to do about a half hour at least a day because we want our kids getting better. Like that's the name of the game. The kids are excited about learning different moves and how that fits into the uh, big picture of five on five. And they get better year, year to year, day to day. And at the varsity level, we're making sure we're continuing that, but still making a focus on doing all the team concepts to prepare for games, prepare for our opponents. It is a, uh, it is not an easy science. It is not no. easy to, to get the balance. Um, ultimately, that's why you rely on your, your assistant coaches. You rely on your captains. You rely on body language to figure out what they need. And you do your best you can. And you figure it out day by day. And and let me ask you uh, before we hit our concluding segment here. Before I forget about um, you talked about, especially with the young the young group that you got the importance of of June and the importance of the summer. What as you think about making a plan or developing uh, some some sort of idea for what you want to get done 
this summer. What what is the focus going to be like skill development wise for you that this coming summer with your group? Oh, we're going to be doing a lot of shooting. So uh, like I think we've mentioned in the podcast, mm -hmm. in the conversation, shooting is maybe the number one skill right now in the current day of basketball. If you yep. can shoot the basketball and you can defend somebody, you're going to be playing. And if you can rebound on top of that, gosh, I might not take you off the floor. Uh, <laughs> give me, give me are, five of those on the court. Right? We'll be okay, right? Rebound, defend, and shoot the three. We'll be okay, right? So we're going to do a lot of shooting. Um, for some of our younger kids, especially our incoming freshmen, some of our new guys, like we'll be tweaking with their individual form on shooting. We'll talk about different things. I know one of our sophomore guards, we're already talking to him about, hey, like this summer, we definitely need to get your shot up because he's shooting from his chin. We got to get him to shoot more from his eyebrow above his head. Like we're going to do individual tweaks with guys, but shooting is going to be a priority, right? Giving kids a variety of finish solutions. So being able to show them different moves, um, show them a spin move, show them a same hand, same foot, show them a, a jump stop finish, right? giving them solutions so they can work on them, um, exposing them to a lot. Like I mentioned earlier, I really want these kids during summer to go from being maybe unconsciously unskilled or consciously unskilled to consciously skilled, where by the end of the summer, I can look at a kid and say, listen, hey, show me your spin move. Show me your, your spin fake counter. Show me your spin fake counter step through. And they can do it. And then it's up to them to continue to put in that work to make that unconsciously skill so they can repeat it in a game, so they can repeat it in a game in a in a five on five setting. Um, we're gonna get after it skill development wise a lot during the summer. That's in the summer, I think, is the time for skill development. And we will put a big emphasis on making sure a lot of our practice is about shooting, finishing, passing, playing small sided games, making them read the defense, making them play in advantage situations and learning as much as possible. Uh, because we're not worried about wins and losses in the season. I'm not worried about a scouting report in the season. We're worried about getting better day-to-day, -day, both individually as a team. And to me, summer, when it comes to skill development, is just it's, – it's so, it's so crucial to if I want to fix a player's shot or if I want to work on, you know, just – any individual skill set, because like, like you said, we're, we get so team focused and, and there's just so much going on throughout the course of the season, let alone just basketball wise, but with our girls and, and guys, you know, school and all these other things going on that if I need them to get, you know, an hour or two hours, you know, that they can devote to just working on their shot or working on certain skills like it, it the summer is like where that time has to happen because um I don't know about you, but I, I I find that I cannot fix one of my girls' shots during the course of a season. There's way too much going on, and it it, it doesn't work. It's got to be Absolutely. in the it's got to be in the summer. A thousand percent. So one of the things I'm excited about this summer for my particular group is my assistant coach is a six 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 seven big guy who used to have the uh, scoring record at Buffalo Grove High School. I can't wait for my varsity assistant to work with my six four six five incoming sophomores. They weren't at summer camp a year ago as incoming freshmen. The first time we met him was in August or September of last year. So we didn't get to work with him last summer. This will be the first summer where my assistant coach, who is a bona fide big, who knows what he's doing down there, is going to have dedicated time with them to work with them almost every day. And I'm excited to see their growth coming from a guy who knows what he's doing as a, as a, as a big guy himself who's been successful at the high school level. Isn't that nice to have somebody who, who not only like can work with them, but also has like the, the frame of reference, right? The skill set. That that they they knows like I've done this I've scored this way before I know that this is how you need to score sort of thing, that's absolutely that, that's really cool. Like as some like and, me like I was never 
like a real good ball handler. Like I, I, I can handle it okay, but to have somebody work with my girls who was a really good ball handler with my point guard, it's like, okay, like that is great because that's what I need. Somebody really gets it and, and was like a floor general working with them. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, my assistant coach, Brett Gherkin, he's working with the varsity every day. Mm -hmm. He's not going down to the freshman level on an everyday basis working with those guys. Now, do they know him? Has he worked with them? Yes, but not on an everyday basis. We're worried about varsity on an everyday basis, right? He's stopped yeah. in the practice. He's talked to them. He showed them a couple little things. But this summer, they'll be there every day. He'll be there every day. And they'll get to work together on skill development as a 6'4", 6'5", guy, learning from a guy who's been there. And I'm excited for that, amongst other things. That's 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 super cool just to have have that time and and I I think it's gonna op open those players' minds to kind of see that play to see to see that coach really really show them some things and I'm sure I'm sure that coach still still has it all these years later it never leaves right oh so, so. oh absolutely. <laughs> absolutely there was the one day in practice he got up he was just like a standing vert dunk and we were like where did that come from uh, we wish we had the uh, huddle camera going for him. <laughs> So we would have we would have posted that. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, he still he's he still got it. That, that's funny. That's awesome, Coach. To wrap up, there's a couple of questions I ask every guest. I'll go ahead and start with this first one, which is, uh, what is a coaching moment of yours, looking back uh, at your coaching career, that you think others listening would be able to learn from? So, as I was thinking about this question when I saw it in the uh, agenda, I went a couple different ways, and I don't know if this is this is what you were thinking of, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it anyways. Mm -hmm. Last year, uh, we played a game, uh, I'm sorry, two seasons ago, we played a game against Maine West at home, and we scored, we're down four, we scored, I call timeout to set our press, so their inbounder can run the baseline. Now, do you know if the, if the guy inbounding the basketball is allowed to dribble? And this is when, one more time? So we scored. Okay, yes. I called timeout to start our press. Yes. They have the ball full court. Yep. Can the baseline inbounder dribble the basketball? Uh, I do not believe so, no. They can. So oh, this, well, happened, this, ha this happened to us a year ago. Kid dribbles the ball. Really? And, and our entire staff goes, can't do that. The ref was on top of it. You can absolutely dribble out of bounds when you can run the baseline. There's just I know no running the baseline. Huh. There's no advantage dribble. to it. You're allowed to dribble, which was I had never experienced that moment. So, I had played basketball my entire life. I coached for about 10 years, never seen that moment. And we had to go into the rule book. We had to figure it out. You can you, dribble, no advantage though. Can you be can you be called for a carry then? What if you dribble and pick up the ball and dribble, dribble it again? How does what is that? <laughs> I, I don't know. It was the strange. It was a strange moment for us. And we were talking to the head of referees, and he goes, "Yes, as long as the dribble is out of bounds, you can dribble it. But if he dribbles it inbounds, it's a violation." Yeah, yeah. And you can dribble it, pick it up, run with it, dribble it again. So there's not really a double dribble opportunity. There's just it, there's no advantage to dribbling, right? You can grab the ball from the ref, run the baseline. Right? If you dribble, you're actually wasting your own time, right? Yeah. It was just the question you asked, the coaching moment that others can learn from, you can dribble the basketball when you run the baseline out of bounds. It was a, a, a really unique moment that happened to us. Uh, we had to dive deep into the rule book. I learned from it. My coaching staff learned from it. How I think the other opposing, the opposing staff, I think, thought that was wrong too. I think everybody was in the same boat. 
it is, well, it is it is wrong. I, I'm gonna. I mean, it is wrong. It may not be illegal, <laughs> but to me, it's wrong. That is, yeah, the, huh? Wow. Yeah. So that was a that was a a wow moment that happened to us, and uh, I've learned that, and uh, I will forever have that as a random rule in the game of basketball. You know what? I will. Uh, I will give credit where it's due to that that referee for being on top of it, though. On top of it. <laughs> I was I was pissed after the game. I go, oh, you missed that call. Like I can't believe that. And then, whatever. Surely, twelve hours later, right? The next morning, we find it. Oh wow! On top of it, ref was on top of it. Yeah, that is that is that is fascinating. Well, I learned something new. Thank you. I, no, I did. Well, I, I, I'm, I, no. I I wasn't sure if that's where you're going with the question, but I thought you know what I, I can learn. I learned from it. I, I'll tell you that. I, you know what? Maybe I'll. Uh, Maybe I'll have one of my girls just uh, do that for fun in the summer league and see how the referee acts. Be like, hey, just dribble it. Dribble it out. Let's just see what happens. Let's just go from there and see, see how that gets called. What? Yeah, that, that is crazy. Uh, well, good to know. Uh, to wrap up, Coach, I give every guest what I call a 60-second soapbox. You can go over 60 seconds, though, because I'm not going to time you. But it's your platform to kind of get out, like, a final thought, a closing message, a final idea, something that you want to uh, leave the listeners with. You can take it any direction you want, kind of like you did with your last question. So <laughs> I'm going to open up the floor to you, Coach, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and let you take it from here. I'll, I'll keep this one a little more traditional. Um, <laughs> running a basketball program, there's tons of people that are involved, and I'll take this 60-second soapbox to just say thank you to our administrative staff that supports our program, uh, Don Raleigh Jr., Shelly Weagle, Norma Rothers, our principal, uh, Brad Hubbard, uh, big shout out to my coaching staff who uh, we've got some volunteers. We've got paid staff who are there all the time helping our guys. Uh, Brett Gherkin, Andrew Braverman, Reggie Williams, Jason Weeder, uh, Matt Claver, Virgil Davis, who are working their tails off for our guys and for our program. Um, big thank you to them. I'm a big believer in, in making sure you're saying thank you to the people that are that are working hard for your program and for your guys. And so I just want to publicly say thank you to everybody who's a part of our program. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to our kids and their efforts do not go unnoticed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Big shout out to Wheeling and district 214. 214. 214. Yep. Okay. I was 211. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's 214. Yeah. Awesome. All, all part of the MSL. Yeah. 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 Mid suburban league. Right on. Um, awesome coach. Appreciate you coming on and, and talking about uh, your program, talking about, uh, skill development and, and all the things that are going on out, out there in Wheeling. Um, sounds like you guys got a really exciting summer coming up ahead and, and a bright future coming with the guys you got returning. So I, I look forward to following your journey and, and, and seeing where, where these next couple of years take you. So uh, good luck, Coach. Have a, have a great summer and great offseason and, and go, go get after it next year. Thank you, Coach. Same to you. Thank you for having me on. It's always great talking basketball. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast, and we will see you guys. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.